electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market Moving Insight and Analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber at the New York Stock Exchange. In just a moment, Democrat House committee chairs will hold a news conference outlining the next steps in the impeachment process. We'll get live coverage from Capitol Hill. In the meantime, futures did uh, rally from an early morning loss as the journal says that U.S. and China negotiators are laying the groundwork for a delay in those tariffs that are scheduled to kick in on Sunday. And as we speak, guys, uh, Mexico's president says that uh, reps from Canada and the U.S. will arrive in Mexico today to sign USMCA. Yes. Uh, right now, um, Ambassador Lighthizer is on his way, uh, which is why it's so curious to see uh, the story being put out by the Chinese to the Wall Street Journal, because you can't reach him uh, at this very moment. But yes, uh, and this is important because both Speaker Pelosi and Kimmel may have money. So listen, this is a done deal. It's going to happen once you finish the articles of impeachment. And the president very much want this deal. It's a, uh, we was talking with David during the break, but it's the one thing people seem to be able to agree on in Washington, which is that this is a good deal. And yet the, a lot of the people I follow who are uh, theoreticians are saying it's no big deal. I think that they're wrong. You get a Democrat in the White House and companies are allowed to move back south again. Uh, well, it's not that advantageous to do so because of the big increase in wages. And those of us who do a lot of business in Mexico can tell you, holy cow, the differential is not just uh, cash, but it's also uh, healthcare, where they have universal health care. And this is a story about pollution control, where both sides are now saying, both a Democrat and Republican, there may be uh, some enforcement of the pollution control rules, because right now you can do it. I don't want to say you can do whatever you want in Mexico, but it's certainly not an EPA down there that's very strong. How about yeah. that? So we'll hear from Pelosi at 10 a.m. Eastern on Thanks. USMCA, uh, hopefully get some color on that. In the meantime, do you believe this journal story on tariffs? It's put out by the Chinese. Uh, if the Chinese follow up with something big that the president wants, maybe. But right now, I take my cue from what Jim, Jim Urio said in the previous uh, show, which is that fool me once, fool me twice, fool me six times, fool me nine times, fool me 20 times. Can we please wait till Lighthizer at least is on the ground and you can reach him? Uh, Lighthizer being the key man, even I'm not saying anyone's more important than the president, but Lighthizer is the negotiator. And it's it's curious that he can't be reached in this story runs right now. Mm-hmm. He's got his hands full on some other stuff. Yes, yeah, it's, a, it's turning into a very busy week. Um, if we do get a delay in Sunday's tariffs, what does that mean for the markets? Well, I think that the market wants any deal. Uh, the Wall Street wants any deal. I think that there are a lot of companies uh, that feel like, you know what, if we get a deal here, the key stock in this market has been Apple. Apple was down uh, four yesterday, uh, one point down six. Uh, Apple was down two before this announcement. Apple is the stock that I am key on. It is the key to this market because without a statement from the president exempting Apple, Samsung becomes the cheapest cell phone company. What? Well, that's... No, you've made that point. It's just interesting well, they, that that they believe I'm me. sure that is not lost on the administration either. Well, yeah, Tim for, Cook has spent a good amount of time. It, it was lost for quite a long time. It wasn't in, well. It was until Tim Cook said, explained it. Right. Well, I mean, it was, I mean, I want to say, I mean, they cared more about 
about uh, hurting China until Tim Cook made a very impassioned plea saying, guys, don't forget, you're subsidizing Samsung. And Tim Cook has been, I think, the most uh, thoughtful broker during this period. And hence, this, the fact that the stock is up 120 points from the pre-announcement at the beginning of January. That's largely the business. It's not what they've done or haven't done with the administration. Well, it's a, largely the new model, the service yeah. model, but also the fact that the 11 has been fantastic. Right. Right. No one thought the 11 was going to be great. I mean, that really, I'm not, you know, other than Tim Cook, I couldn't find anyone when it was unveiled. I was there. Uh, I, I couldn't find anyone else who thought it was a big deal. And then I went back the next day to get one, and they said, listen, a couple hour wait. A right, couple hour wait. Now, I know I should have thrown my weight around, David, and said, hey, I'm, they didn't give a damn. No, I find that hard to imagine. No, I went there and with hat in hand and said, I'd like to hear $1,000. I have $1,000. Can I get a phone? No one cared. I like to carry around. Just kidding. But there is a, there's the demand for that phone. So, by the way, the Air, AirPods, try to get, there's, there's so few. Now, you can get them, though. I don't want to say, yes, okay. you can. I found, I found a bunch of places where you can get them. You, sorry. Give me a stiff arm there. No, it's a podcast, David. Yeah. No one sees that. Uh, but I know I can find them for you if you want. If you, but I, I'm going to charge you a VIG of at least $100. Oh, well, I can use my Apple card to get 6% off, apparently. You mentioned the new model. Um, obviously, streaming content for $5 a month is one reason. We've been talking about this Needham downgrade of Netflix. Wow. Uh, Laura Martin, a uh, longtime skeptic of Netflix's prospects relative to rivals, cuts to sell, uh, sees 4 million U.S. sub losses next year. Once again, says you guys have to unveil an ad-supported lower-tier product She's talking maybe six to eight minutes an hour of ads for five to seven bucks a month. <laughs> can we just say, can all of us just admit for one second that the reason why people like Netflix is because there's no ads? I mean, you watch all these different ads for all these different shows on the networks when you're watching football. I mean, all you think of to me is, is that they have more ads than they do even in a football game. Uh, I, I just think that this is uh, U.S. sub losses. I'm not buying that. I'd like to hear uh, from... Uh, from Netflix before I agree with this. I think this piece is basically a hit job. Well, to be fair to her, she has been consistent. It's not as though, and not necessarily wrong. Well. So I don't know if I'd call it a hit job. There are certainly many who wonder about the ability of this uh, service to continue to penetrate in the U.S. Now, international subs for Netflix are far more important in terms of growth at this point. We know the domestic sub base is not going to grow at at any significant rate at this point. Guys, let's get to these uh, committee chairs, Uh, Nadler, Schiff, Engel, Waters and Maloney talking about next steps in the impeachment process. Good morning, everyone. On this solemn day, I'm I recall that the first order of business for members of Congress is the solemn act to take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. With great respect and gratitude uh, that I thank uh, the chairs of the committees, the six committees who have been working to help us honor our oath of office. I also want to thank the staff of those committees and the committee members Uh, for all of their work over this period of time to help us protect and defend. I want to thank the Chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Mr. Nadler, Chair of the Intelligence Committee, Mr. Schiff, 
uh, chair of the Ways and Means Committee, chairman, all of these chairmen, uh, chairman Richie Neal of Massachusetts, the chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee, Elliot Engel of New York, the chair of the Financial Services Committee, Maxine Waters of California, uh, the chair of the uh, Committee on Government Reform and Oversight, Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney. I also want to acknowledge the important work that was done by our dear and departed, may rest in peace, Elijah Cummings as chair of the, of the Oversight Committee. Now please to yield to the distinguished chair of the Judiciary Committee, Mr. Nathan. Thank you, Madam Speaker. Over the last several months, the investigative committees of the House have been engaged in an impeachment inquiry into President Donald Trump's efforts to solicit foreign interference in the 2020 elections, efforts that compromised our national security and threatened the integrity of our elections. Throughout this inquiry, he has attempted to conceal the evidence from Congress and from the American people. Our president holds the ultimate public trust. When he betrays that trust and puts himself before country, he endangers the Constitution, he endangers our democracy, and he endangers our national security. The framers of the Constitution prescribed a clear remedy for presidents who so violate their oath of office. That is the power of impeachment. Today, in service to our duty to the Constitution and to our country, the House Committee on the Judiciary is introducing two articles of impeachment charging the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, with committing high crimes and misdemeanors. The first article is for abuse of power. It is an impeachable offense for the President to exercise the powers of his public office to obtain an improper personal benefit while ignoring or in injuring the national interest. That is exactly what President Trump did when he solicited and pressured Ukraine to interfere in our 2020 presidential election, thus damaging our national security, undermining the integrity of the next election, and violating his oath to the American people. These actions, moreover, are consistent with President Trump's previous invitations of foreign interference in our 2016 presidential election. And when he was caught, when the House investigated and opened an impeachment inquiry, President Trump engaged in unprecedented, categorical, and indiscriminate defiance of the impeachment inquiry. This gives rise to the second article of impeachment for obstruction of Congress. Here, too, we see a familiar pattern in President Trump's misconduct. A president who declares himself above accountability, above the American people, and above Congress's power of impeachment, which is meant to protect against threats to our democratic institutions, is a president who sees himself as above the law. We must be clear, no one, not even the president, is above the law. I want to recognize the great contributions of the investigative chairs, 
particularly Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff, Foreign Affairs Chairman Elliot Engel, Committee on Oversight and Reform's former chairman, the late Elijah Cummings, and its new chairwoman, Carolyn Maloney, Financial Services Chairwoman Maxine Waters, and Ways and Means Chairman Richard Neal, who helped lay the foundation for the articles we are introducing today. I also want to thank my Judiciary C Committee colleagues who are critical in our work to hold the President accountable and in the drafting of these articles. Later this week, the Judiciary Committee will meet to consider these articles of impeachment and to make a recommendation to the full House of Representatives. We do not take this action lightly, but we have taken an oath to defend the Constitution. And unlike President Trump, we understand that our duty first and foremost is to protect the Constitution and to protect the interests of the American people. That is why we must take this solemn step today. Elections are the cornerstone of democracy and are foundational to the rule of law. But the integrity of our next election is at risk from a president who has already sought foreign interference in the 2016 and 2020 elections and who consistently puts himself above country. That is why we must act now. I want to turn now to Chairman Schiff, who will explain the evidence that supports these articles and the need for us to act with such urgency today. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Madam Speaker, and to my colleagues. Good morning. The framers of the Constitution recognized that someday a president might come to office who would abuse that office, betray the public trust, and undermine national security to secure foreign help in his reelection, and who would seek to abrogate the power of Congress to hold him accountable. They recognized this danger, and they prescribed a remedy, and that remedy is impeachment. It is an extraordinary remedy, and one that I've been reluctant to recommend until the actions of President Trump gave Congress no alternative. We stand here today because the President's continuing abuse of his power has left us no choice. To do nothing would make ourselves complicit in the President's abuse of his high office, the public trust, and our national security. The President's misconduct is as simple and as terrible as this. President Trump solicited a foreign nation, Ukraine, to publicly announce investigations into his opponent and a baseless conspiracy theory promoted by Russia to help his reelection campaign. President Trump abused the power of his office by conditioning two official acts to get Ukraine to help his reelection. The release of hundreds of millions of dollars in military aid that nation desperately needed, and a White House meeting with an ally trying to fend off Russian aggression. In so doing, he undermined our national security and jeopardized the integrity of our next election. And he does so still. The evidence of the President's misconduct is overwhelming and uncontested. And how could it not be when the President's own words on July 25th, I would like you to do us a favor, though, lay so bare his intentions, his willingness to sacrifice the national security for his own personal interests. And when the President got caught, he committed his second impeachable act, obstruction of Congress of the very ability 
to make sure that no one is above the law, not even the President of the United States. The evidence is every bit as strong that President Trump has obstructed Congress fully, without precedent, and without basis in law. If allowed to stand, it would decimate Congress's ability to conduct oversight of this president or any other in the future, leaving this president and those who follow to be free to be as corrupt, malfeasant, or incompetent as they would like with no prospect of discovery or accountability. Now, some would argue, why don't you just wait? Why don't you just wait until you get these witnesses the White House refuses to produce? Why don't you just wait until you get the documents the White House refuses to turn over? And people should understand what that argument really means. It has taken us eight months to get a lower court ruling that Don McGahn has no absolute right to defy Congress. Eight months for one court decision. If it takes us another eight months to get a second court or maybe a Supreme Court decision, people need to understand that is not the end of the process. It comes back to us and we ask questions because he no longer has absolute immunity and then he claims something else, that his answers are privileged and we have to go to back to court for another eight or 16 months. The argument, why don't you just wait, amounts to this. Why don't you just let him cheat in one more election? Why not let him cheat just one more time? Why not let him have foreign help just one more time? That is what that argument amounts to. The president's misconduct goes to the heart of whether we can conduct a free and fair election in 2020. It is bad enough for a candidate to invite foreign interference in our political process but it is far more corrosive for a president to do so and to abuse his power to make it so. Despite everything we have uncovered, the president's misconduct continues to this day, unapologetically and right now. As we saw when he stood on the White House lawn and he was asked, what did you want in that July 25th call? And he said the answer was a simple one. And not just a simple one on July 25th, but a simple one today, and that is he still wants Ukraine to interfere in our election to help his campaign. Even this week, the president's lawyer was back in Ukraine seeking to revive the same debunked conspiracy theory promoted at the president's behest. Which gets to the final and most pernicious of the arguments that we have heard in the president's defense. That the president can do whatever he wants under Article 2 including get foreigners involved in our elections, and we should just, to quote the President's Chief of Staff, get over it. Ben Franklin said we have a republic if we can keep it. The President and his men say, you can't keep it, and Americans should just get over it. Americans don't get to decide American elections anymore, not by themselves, not without foreign help. For the members of Congress, this is not a question of fact because the facts are not seriously contested. It is rather a question of duty. The President's oath of office appears to mean very little to him, but the articles put forward today will give us a chance to show that we will defend the Constitution and that our oath means something to us. I thank you, Mr. Chairman.
All right, that's House Intel uh, Chairman Schiff, along with the judiciary's uh, Jerry Nadler. Two articles of impeachment uh, from judiciary, abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. Uh, Nadler says uh, they do expect to, to hold a vote in judiciary uh, later in the week. Reuters today says that vote would be no later than Thursday. As the market, Jim, uh, continues to be nonplussed by this, guessing what's going to happen in, in the Senate. Yes, I continue to think that the makeup of the Senate is such that unless you have some serious breaks from the leadership, this is going to be a lot like the Clinton impeachment and not the Nixon impeachment. Those of us around long enough for Nixon impeachment remember that Senator Rhodes, Senator Goldwater, Senator Hugh uh, Scott broke with the leadership. And once they broke with the leadership, the floodgates broke. Senator Goldwater. Uh, we do not have that. And so I think there's a lot of people who are saying who've been around and followed uh, the way the Senate works, recognize that you need to have people say that uh, to repudiate both the president and McConnell. And that's why I think that no one's taking this seriously in the stock market. Yeah, it, there se- it seems to be quite a long shot that the Senate would convict. I think that's been the assumption. Right. You know, the, the question I hear is, will any Republican senators uh, vote to convict, and therefore will there be a majority of the Senate doing so if you were to get a Romney uh, or uh, Collins or, you know, you, a number, right. Kowski, a number of the other senators? Uh, and there's always the dark horse possibility that McConnell makes votes anonymous. People could abstain, uh, so we'll watch for all of that. But before we get to the Senate, obviously, we, there's a few more steps that need to happen in the House. Uh, Elon Moy is with us this morning to help us understand what the calendar might look like from here on out. Hi, Elon. Hi, Carl. Well, you did hear Chairman Nadler there say that the vote is expected to happen in Judiciary Committee later on this week, perhaps setting up a House floor by early next week. But I think the most critical point that you heard both uh, Judiciary Committee Chairman Nadler and Intel Committee Chairman Adam Schiff say is that the president's actions amounted to a danger not just to national security, but also to the integrity of the next election. So the messaging here is that this is about the future, not the past. That is why we did not see an additional article of impeachment that was structured around the Mueller investigation. The focus here is squarely on the president's actions in regard to Ukraine, and that is going to provide important political cover to the House Democratic moderates who have been somewhat concerned about moving forward with the impeachment investigation. They have said they've supported an inquiry, have not yet committed all of their votes toward supporting articles of impeachment until they saw what they were. Keeping this focus squarely on Ukraine helps ensure that they can keep their caucus united when that floor vote happens, potentially early next week. Uh, indeed, as you say, a relatively narrow range. Some people, Elon, have also mentioned uh, no uh, uh, mention of bribery, for example. Uh, just the two articles and uh, maybe a fewer number than some might have expected. That's right. I think part of the calculation on Pelosi here is they wanted to bring forth articles that they felt they had absolutely clear evidence for. So that is why, again, they focused on abuse of power and on obstruction of Congress. You also heard Nadler make the argument that this is not just a one-off, that this is a pattern of behavior. And Schiff very uh, sort of forcefully made the argument that they do need to move now, not let this be resolved by the next election, because, as he said, he is worried that the president could cheat once more. So, of course, the White House has not been participating in the House's investigation. 
Commission. We'll see if they are able to mount a more robust defense once it comes to a Senate trial, if and when it comes to a Senate trial. Um, but also Republicans have been arguing that this process has been rigged from the start. And the outcome, as you said, is seems to be clear. And that is why the markets do not seem to have moved much on this news. Elon, thanks for that. Elon Mui has been our eyes and ears on the impeachment process uh, since the beginning in Washington. Jim, any further thoughts on it? Or? No, I, but I think that the overriding story for us this morning is uh, whether there's truth to the an agreement with uh, the Chinese to delay the tariffs. The reason I say that is because this, uh, Wall, this Wall Street desperately wants a deal, whether it's a good or bad deal, I think, for the American people. Uh, they, uh, I'm not saying anybody regards the impeachment as a sideshow. It's clearly occupying the president's uh, brain space because it's uh, the subject of many tweets, which is really kind of an indicator of where the president is. But look, uh, uh, Wall Street wants to see that these tariffs are delayed. And I don't think that anyone believes that uh, anyone on Wall Street believes that there's anything substantive to a vote. Not that there's I went to see James Comey recently. Now, James Comey is a sworn opponent of the president. He has a basically a list of people who would like to vote uh, with the Democrats. But uh, kind of the subtext is are afraid of the president. And I don't think that's to be dismissed. I think they're people who fear the president. You're nodding. You can't remember. It's a podcast. You have to say yes, Jim, or no, Jim. I think there's no doubt, Jim. Well, you don't have to say it like that. Like you're just like a marionette. Argue with me. I can't, Jim. Okay. I'm just a doctor, Jim. We'll get Kramer's Mad Dash. We'll count down to the opening bell. A lot to get to other than uh, the uh, press conference we just saw. A Fed meeting does begin today. Decision tomorrow. USMCA, downgrade of Netflix and JPM. We're back in a moment. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, two minutes before we get started with an opening bell here. Uh, let's get to a mad dash as we uh, sit down, stay seated at the desk. What do you got? David, there are a whole bunch of companies that came public right around now uh, in terms of research. So you had Chewy, uh, Stitch Fix. The one that is people are really taking a hard look at is a company called MongoDB, which does a uh, distributed database for the cloud. And what this shows is, and I know we're going to talk to... Uh, we talked to Dave Cody, which has got a he's got a Scott's company. Back, that, yeah, yeah. Kevin, one of the Kevin Ryan uh, yes. companies. Yes, but you know, fifty two percent subscription growth. What people want to see is subscription growth. Uh, I had Nutanix on last night talking about subscription growth. Subscription growth is sticky. Remember, Adobe was the first company that really just said, "Okay, look, we're going to do subscription growth. We're going to get away from licenses." You know, what I find really incredible, David, is the. Uh, belief, no matter what, if you have subscription and you're growing at 52%, people want to own the stock. Last week, if you were growing fast, no one wanted to own your stock. So the market has become so mercurial that uh, all I can say is you can see the decline last week in the stock. People didn't want high growth. Now they want high growth. It's just going too crazy. But Dev's going to be on. 
and Dev is a visionary, and I think he can lay out. He's very good. I happened to catch up with him recently at a, uh, a dinner. Wow, this company's on fire. On fire. Database. Database. But in the cloud. Not on prem. Who's their customers? Is it, health, is it healthcare related or not? Everybody. I it was- Everybody. But I think what you got to remember is in the cloud, like you know, we had a, a company this morning, another one that is a uh, cybersecurity, Zscaler in the cloud. They didn't like that one that much. But in the cloud is everything. That's been a pretty, pretty impressive debut. Where's the opening bell in the S&P 500? At the big board today is Quaker Hogan, maker of industrial process fluids, celebrating the recent merger of Quaker Chemical and Houghton International. At the NASDAQ, graduates from NASDAQ's Milestone Makers Program in San Francisco. Didn't really get to the uh, downgrade of J.P. Morgan out of KBW. Not very specific other than uh, they believe the gains have been pulled forward for next year. When I read the downgrade, I said to myself, okay, so what do you do? Do you sell it here? with the idea that somehow you'll be able to get back in. It's almost a hedge fund downgrade because J.P. Morgan is a company that's doing incredibly well. And we've decided to pay a little bit more for the bank stocks than usual. And this one, we paid more than all the others. But I just don't know how you get back in. How do you get back into a company that is doing very well? And if you think that 2020 is going to be a great year, it's a great stock. I don't know. It's too... Two in, out, in, out for me. Yep. Uh, of course, it's been hitting a series of record highs lately in the 135 range. Uh, currently, the Dow's worst component on a day where, obviously, we're opening in a range-bound fashion. Oil, though, uh, leading to the upside, both Exxon and Chevron. We find that we buy these stocks when we think there's a China deal, as if somehow that means the worldwide economy are going to accelerate. Uh, yesterday was a downgrade of Chevron saying, you know what, it's, don't believe it's safe. Uh, we've got a bunch of oil upgrades today. I don't think the group is safe if there is no deal because the numbers are all too high. It's all too high. So you, you're counting on global growth really being reliant on at least phase one. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. If, otherwise, what happens is you buy these stocks, uh, oil dips to the five-year curve for oil has not changed. In other words, you would think that if things were going to get better in the world, you would be paying 65, 70 out five years. You're paying exactly where we are. So what that says is that the U.S. is going to keep pumping. It's going to be lacking in prosperity. uh, And we are a net exporter, although remember, using all sorts of oil products, not just oil. Wait, just Adam, you seen the natural gas ETF? I think it's a five-year low. Well, and that's even though we export eight we're exporting eight billion, eight BCF right. every single day. Can you imagine where it would be if we weren't exporting? What is it? UNG, I think. Yeah. Can you imagine where we would be if we weren't exporting? Oh my God! It would be. They, well, you know what? Look, we, the, it would be like negative rates. You know what the open secret is? They'd pay us to take it. Yeah, I'm sure if we went and went in a satellite, we went into Virgin Galactic, whatever, you would see the flaring. It's just too expensive to ship. It is, and that a lot of that is Marcellus, uh, Utica. What uh, the late Aubrey McLennan said would be the largest repository of natural gas coming true. Wow. There it is. Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Over, what? Over, uh, over the last well, year, when it. you look at five years, it's... it's well, there's, there's an investment for you. Wow. Yeah. That could kill any hedge fund. It could. Any hedge fund stupid enough to own it. David, I think you should say you'll advise. Well, some may have been stupid. shorted. Maybe they were smart. Oh, okay. That's good. So is that possibility. Yep. I mean, good most point. of the hedge fund business is going to still underperform the S&P this year, I believe. Well, how about uh, so often there are some 
people right. who are happy to make into stars because they outperform by a couple of percentage points? Well, what I, I find to be unbelievable is, is that there's still a group of people who think that energy is cheap, the stocks are cheap, and then you meet these people who, the 10 million people who are at, at Robinhood, and you ask the guys who run Robinhood, is anyone buying oil and gas? And they look at you like, what are you like? You have two heads? No. They don't check off on the um, ESG. Well, they look at what a low percentage it is of the S&P, and they think maybe there's a, uh, they can, it's a rental, right? Going I mean, away. Yeah. Going away. Yeah. Uh, I wish that I had one oil stock that I could say my chapel trust owns BP. They, they didn't raise the dividend big this time, but the company's doing incredibly well. Which means it just goes down a little less than the others. There's something to have. Right? Um, Really quick, uh, we have gotten an even more C-suite shuffling as the COO of Lulu is going to go to away. Stuart uh, Stuart Hazelton. I remember when Stuart Hazelton took control of that company uh, when he was CFO. He did such a monumentally great job speaking at the April fantastic Matthew Boss retail conference at J.P. Morgan. And do you tell me that that stock's only down that much on his departure, which, by the way, uh, is the report this week, the report tomorrow. And, and Stuart, they say in a curious release, is going to a not an apparel industry. So what is he doing? Stuart is a great guy. You'd love the guy. Would I? Yeah. yeah super so. guy. All right. Maybe one day we'll meet. Well, yeah, he's just a good guy. I like to meet good guys and good gals. I, I would think that this is a, going to purport a good quarter, or they wouldn't have announced this today. I mean, what a gutsy thing to announce it today on the eve of when they report. That's um, something. More base. You remember a lot of more base. Yeah. Lulu. Doesn't seem to matter. The UBS media conference continues in, at the uh, Hilton in Midtown. Uh, you killed morning. Viacom yesterday by asking not. those hard questions. I did not. Viacom did go down a bit, though, after oh, we did, did, yep, this stock declined re- dramatically when you talked about cash flow it's rather than earnings per share. Right. The, dis- the, the disconnect or the, l- the lack of free cash flow. Free you killed flow. Viacom. Not, not, uh, not cash flow. Free cash flow. Uh, I don't think that's fair, but it is down. Again. No, do you really it's not think been it's a great debut for Viacom. You think it was just that, that just a coincidence? No, I, I think we had a, Akish and I had a good conversation. You were tough. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good work. Thank you. Are we down like you know, Wait, yesterday? But I we were down for six minutes. Yeah, we were down for six minutes. I gave the discourse. It was the best thing I've ever done. And it turns out it wasn't on. <laughs> oh, when we, went, when we went black yesterday. Yeah. I think that's been fixed, apparently, yes. according to my sources. Very odd. But we just kept talking. Yeah. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. We did some great work. Um, I did want to mention it because John Stanky, of course, uh, who is the COO of uh, AT&T, the CEO still of uh, Warner Media uh, Assets as well, uh, speaking at the same conference this morning. You know, a, a lot of it been said before, whether by CFO John Stevens or like, but he did say no place is safe when it comes to cost-cutting initiatives. Um, Nothing is off the table. We're aggressively looking at our benefits effectiveness. We found places across a large employee retirement base. I mean, he goes on to just cite any number of different areas where they are, um, you know, going to take a look at the potential for um, cutting costs. Right. And, and that continues. Uh, once again, defending that $15 a month price for HBO Max, saying it's a sweet spot, even though they have double the content, he says. That's why it's mm-hmm. double the price, essentially, almost, right. of Disney+. Plus, um, and believes it's not just for the 33 million existing HBO subscribers, but for lots of others who are going to enjoy that very large library. Yesterday, our, and I say our as Comcast, parent company of our network, CFO, uh, Kavanaugh, 
yeah. was at the same conference talking about Peacock, the entrant from, uh, from NBC Universal, ad supported, potentially free if you're a Comcast uh, user. Um, talking about $2 billion the first two years, about $2 billion of aggregate investment in years one and two together with sort of the peaking at about what they say is 1% of Comcast revenue, achieving break-even by year five. Different route for, for uh, Comcast slash NBC in terms of its streaming entrant, uh, Peacock, ad-supported, as we've said. Something that, to go back to the conversation we were having before we went to the uh, Netflix to the press conference there, Netflix, and, and Laura yeah. Martin is saying that she believes they need an ad-supported tier. Um, they don't have one as yet, but she thinks they do. Well, I might still keep marveling at Disney. Yesterday we had the box office story, $10 billion. Uh, the sign-ups, uh, that's the one that if you're going to ask me, you know, can people take that and Netflix and HBO, will, can millennials afford all these things uh, and also pay their phone bill? I don't know. It's a question to me. Question. Yeah. By the way, guys, uh, President tweeting about the USMCA. Oh, really? Uh, looking good. Uh, Looking like very good Democrat support for the bill, he says. That would be great for our country. Uh, so we'll keep our eyes to see if we do get any kind of signing today, which some reports say is possible. Dow's down 100, though. Let's get to Seema Modi and see what's moving. Hey, Seema. And, Carl, a volatile uh, 30 minutes of trade here. The Dow was poised to open lower by 60 points, and then those losses were uh, evaporated after that headline came out from the Wall Street Journal that the United States and China are working towards uh, delaying the December 15th tariffs. Uh, and then we went back into negative territory on that announcement from Washington, D.C., that the House Democrats are introducing two articles of impeachment. The Dow currently down by around 80 points. As it pertains to trade, we did see a pop in shares of Apple. Remember, Apple, uh, one of the companies that stands to lose if those December 15 tariffs are implemented. Uh, Wedbush Security says that that would ultimately result in a 4% hit to earnings, or roughly 50 cents in fiscal year 2020. Here we are, Apple at 266, down just fractionally on the day. Take a look at Caterpillar shares also popped on that Wall Street Journal report, a company that certainly has been negatively impacted by not just tariffs, but a strained U.S.-China relationship. Stock now trading lower by around, 60, uh, by around six-tenths of one percent. The dollar also uh, gained a bit of ground against the Japanese yen on the prospect of those tariffs being delayed. Take a look at it now at 108, uh, just slightly oh, unchanged at, at the moment. Take a look at the sector uh, map right now to give you a sense of where we're seeing the gains and losses. Pretty much negative for technology, industrials, financials, and energy, as you guys were just discussing as well. Global markets not really getting any encouragement there. Uh, a downbeat session in Europe. China slightly higher on the day. Japan lower, though, as well. So uh, that's certainly the, uh, the setup overseas. Two big events, of course, in Europe. We have the ECB decision on Thursday, the Fed tomorrow, and that UK election coming up later in the week. One big standout that we're watching is Stitch Fix. Uh, this is really the type of earnings report that you want to see. A better than expected earnings be a better than expected earnings report, a beat on its bottom line, uh, a guide higher for next year. And RBC Capital, uh, seeing it's one of its top picks, outperform rating with a $38 price target. You can see the stock is up about 10% today and now up about 30% in the last three months. Guys, we have an IPO today, and that is Bill, a payment software company that rivals PayPal. Back to you. Holy cow. Thank you, Seema. We have a 
a friend of all shows on CNBC, uh, former Honeywell CEO Dave Cody. He's working with Goldman Sachs, announcing today that it's buying a major developer of data center equipment, obviously one of the hottest secular growth stories out there right now. Uh, It's part of his SPAC. Uh, which is called GS Acquisition Holdings. And by the way, Dave Cody joins us now first on CBC, along with Vertiv CEO Rob Johnson. Rob, I don't mean to slight you, but I do want to talk to your executive chairman first. <laughs> Dave, why are you back in the game when everyone said, you know what, he's enjoying retirement? <laughs> well, I am enjoying retirement, but I like working. It's <laughs> kind of like you guys. Uh, business is fun. It's this never-ending game you get to play. It's competition. It's just fun. So I like it. And I don't think we could have found a better opportunity here with Vertiv. I remember when uh, you took over Honeywell. It was in a bit of shambles. Uh, (laughs) You changed it. Uh, Your TSR was rather remarkable. Thank you. Uh, Where is this company, which is, again, like aerospace and great secular increase. Where is it versus uh, when you took over Honeywell? Actually, uh, you couldn't have framed it any better. I, I like the secular trends behind this for a couple of reasons. Data is going to continue to explode. In fact, you could almost call it freakish growth in terms of its ability to grow 20% a year. That data has to reside somewhere, and that's where we play. The other second piece of this is the need to eliminate latency. People don't want to wait for information to get to them. It's not always going to be able to go to a data center in Iceland or the Arctic somewhere. It's going to have to be closer by. Getting things closer to them so that you have like these 10 by 10 data centers instead of 20,000 square foot data centers is going to be important. And that's a place we're going to excel. So we're talking about a a splintering in the number of potential customers, I assume? Absolutely, yeah. If you look at our customer base, a lot of people think it's just hyperscale and co-location is leading the market, but really it's the edge devices, latency-driven applications, things like Netflix, Hulu, things like security, those types of things are going to really drive a proliferation of a lot of many small data centers all over the place. So what, what kind of numbers could we be looking at? relative to what we have now. So we're talking, you know, when you just think about cell towers or something in, in the millions, you're talking about that kind of number of small data centers around. You know, each cell tower would be a mini data center, if you will, with uh, storage and power, uh, processing power at the base. David, is this a, a growth opportunity or one where you see the ability to, to continue to take out costs? You're known for doing that in the past, but this is a private equity asset. One would expect platinum, which loaned 38% has done that through the years. Is there still an opportunity for you to actually take cost up? Well, I like this for a number of reasons. And if you take a look at Honeywell, it wasn't just a cost play. We more than doubled sales while we were there. So something happened. Uh, Why do I like this? Same reasons I liked Honeywell. Great position in a good industry. Differentiation with technology. The ability for organic sales growth, especially driven with innovation and new products. The ability for inorganic sales growth, and as you know, we made a lot of money at that in uh, Honeywell, and margin expansion. And we're, we estimate 500 basis points behind where our peers are. Same situation we had at Honeywell, same opportunity here. And the way I've described it is, we're about where Honeywell was at the two to three year point. So the Platinum folks, along with uh, hiring Rob, did a great job establishing the foundation that's necessary to be able to change the trajectory of this business. And if you look at sales growth, organic sales growth has been more in the 5% range over these last few years, and that's what we're going to be doing next year also. So this is going to be both, growth and margin. And you're going to still be able to get margin up, you believe? I'm sorry? You still think you're going to get margin out, or 
increased margin. Oh, absolutely. And it's you, th- you think about the number of times at Honeywell I said gross sales, whole fixed cost constant. It's a simple concept, works like a charm. When you've got contribution margins of 45%, right. it works like a charm. And we're already embarking on that. Rob's taking the lead on making that happen. Rob, why was this the uh, way that Platinum was better off going as opposed it, to just taking this thing public? Yeah, so it'd be a, a couple years from now that we'd be able to take it public. What works for us here is a couple things. First of all, we get to work with a rock star like Dave, who's a mile wide and a mile deep in what he can do and help us. And, you know, I really mean that. I've had six months with him so far. But the opportunity to delever now, uh, there's inorganic opportunities that we just can't go after today because of that. And the biggest thing for our employees and our customers to experience now, the certainty of where we're going to end up. When you're private equity, you never know who's going to buy you next, where you're going to be. Now we all know where we're going. We're going to have the dollars to do the innovation, do the inorganic activities, and it makes a lot of uncertainty go away for us. Yep. Now, one thing I want to be sure people recognize is this is the beginning, not the end. Maybe this company is going to look two, three years from now uh, like a, a, a mosaic. And to just look at it just as, as a data play, as good as yeah. that is, uh, is, is wrong. There's a bigger vision here. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you said it absolutely right. And uh, you think back similar to what we did at Honeywell's. We started with a certain core. As you recall, we dismantled much of that core. Right. And then we added a lot to it. So that we did something like $23.5 billion in sales transactions on a company that started at 22. Huge amount of change. Yet earnings went from like a buck fifty to eight, over eight bucks this year. The same kind of possibility exists here. And when you look at the size of the market, how fragmented it is, uh, if you take a look at the top three or four players, they usually account for less than 50% of the industry. Huge amount of fragmentation, which means organic growth and inorganic growth. And as Rob pointed out, we now have the balance sheet to do something with this. So if it comes across that I'm pretty pumped up about this, it's because I am. I do think uh, it's important to point out that you've always been a globalist in the sense of where things are. Uh, So many people feel if there's no China deal, a big international company uh, can't do well. Obviously, that is not the concern here. Yeah, actually, we think it works to our advantage either way. And Rob can explain a bit more about how we've positioned the company. But similar to Honeywell, we tend to produce in the region where we're selling. And this was the fundamental how we ran Honeywell. Darius is doing the same thing with it. And it just puts you in a much better position overall. And Rob's done the same thing with Vertiv. Yeah, we actually manufacture in-country for our country. Although there's a little bit of effect with the China deal, overall we're in a really good position yeah. compared to our competitors who are mainly Asia-based manufacturers. Excellent. Well, uh, gentlemen, I want to wish you the best of luck. Dave, welcome back. Not that you fully ever <laughs> left. Rob, I know you've been in this industry. You've been born in this industry. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks, guys. When we come back, shares of Stitch Fix and MongoDB getting a boost from better-than-expected results on the quarter. We'll talk to the CEOs of both companies later on this morning as we're getting a little swirly action to start. Uh, Dow is down 100 now, down 57. Don't go away. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Take a look at the Dow here. Uh, some components as we're down 52 points. More headlines on USMCA. Uh, wires uh, reporting that, according to Pelosi, at least this now looks to be a done deal. Get some details on that. Stop trading with Jim after a break. Time for Kramer and stop trading. There is a uh, key bank's got an interesting piece. Peloton saying wheel spinning faster, raising estimates. I've never seen a firestorm like a commercial, uh, but that it seems to be going in favor of Peloton, uh, even though the CEO said nothing, uh, nothing to say yesterday about it. But raising estimates, holiday momentum looks strong. They're a big short position. And I remain a, a believer that this is one of the few deals that actually is held up. There are a lot of people who say that it's a commodity. I don't think so. Uh, I think that it's got some momentum, and I don't try to foment a short squeeze, but holy cow, talk about an ad. Definitely, definitely got them talked about. Got a lot of talk. I, it's gone now. I don't think it's, uh, I didn't see it on Sunday football. I'm not buying that gin. <laughs> the, the Ryan my, I think gym. my wife has removed the towels and the clothes from, from the Peloton. The Peloton. So be- is that all it's based on? If the towels and clothes go back on, are you suddenly going to be negative? She bought it herself, by the way. She right? bought that yes. gin at the bar. I mean, holy cow, she's got all bases covered. Uh, Jim, what are you going to cover tonight? you got you're, you got uh, plenty of choices. Well, I'm in a safe place here with Extreme. It's a joke. Safe place. It's a reference to the ad. Got it. Oh, my God. Yeah, Extreme, Ed Meyer, Cordy, they wired the uh, Patriots. They wired the Foxborough so that you could spend a lot of Wi-Fi saying how uh, bad uh, the Chiefs were, but then they won. What a few days of football. Congratulations oh. last yeah, night. Really? I mean... <laughs> I thought I didn't think you were going to stay past. No, uh, the of course third I stayed. It was uh, really wow. Yeah, it looked like a great place. That that game was a lot like the like the uh, San Francisco one, um, uh, you know, uh, yeah, Saints game. Yeah, right. <laughs> You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.